Quick recap, if you were with us last week, we started in the book of Jonah and we opened up chapter 1 and what we saw is this prophet that God calls to go reach these people in this great city, possibly the greatest city in the world at the time, Nineveh. And it wasn't the greatest city because these people were so awesome and morally perfect. In fact, the reason that God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh is because the people's wickedness, their sin, had come up before God and he wants to send Jonah to tell them, to preach to them, hey, here's the deal, you've offended God. But he wants to give you an opportunity to repent so that you don't have to suffer the consequences of judgment. But Jonah really doesn't want to go to these people in Nineveh because these people in Nineveh, the Ninevites, were the equivalent essentially to ISIS. And that's not a stretch. So imagine that. Jonah doesn't like these people. In fact, Jonah hates these people. And more than anything, he would like them to be judged, not saved. And he shows that by paying anything to go anywhere else, literally. He goes down, he pays his way, he jumps on a boat, he goes in the opposite direction to Tarshish. And then everybody lives happily ever after, right? Not the case. God sends this massive storm that shakes this boat, and the crew of this boat start to freak out. They're scared to death. They believe they're going to die. It says in chapter 1, they start calling out to their gods, random gods. And here's what Jonah's doing the whole time while this ship's about to break apart. He's sleeping down in the ship, not too concerned. So they wake him up, come to find out, they realize that Jonah is the one that has brought this upon the people Jonah is the one that sinned against God. Jonah confesses that he's a Hebrew, that he believes in the one true God who's over all creation. And he says, hey, here's the deal. I've rebelled. I've ran away. But if you toss me into the water, this storm is going to cease. And they don't want to do that because if Jonah really does worship the true God, they really don't want to offend him any further. And so they try to paddle and get to land, but they can't. Eventually, Jonah is thrown in the ocean And that's where we pick up today. The storm ceases. Here's what's amazing. Even in Jonah's rebellion, it says in chapter 1 that these men, the crew, fear the Lord and start to worship the true God, which is pretty crazy. So it shows that even in the midst of Jonah's rebellion, he still saves people, which is pretty phenomenal. But that's far from the end of the story. That's not where it ends. It's not just like, hey, Jonah got tossed in the water. Man, isn't that a bummer story? Everybody just better uh, do what's right, all right? So you don't want to end up like Jonah. That's not exactly what's going on here. Because God has much more to do in his mission that he sent Jonah on and with other people's lives, and he has much more to teach, and not just Jonah and not just the Ninevites, but, but us as well. We believe here that the Scripture is the living, breathing Word of God. It's not dead It's not just some story that we came up with or somebody came up with. It's the true living word of God, and it's profitable for us so that we can learn more about God and so that we can grow to be more like God. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God, this is a great Sunday to be here because you're going to hear a lot about God and something amazing called grace. And that's what we see, that in the midst of these wicked people and a rogue prophet, we find grace. And it's a word that we use a lot. If you've grown up around the church or you've, you've been here for a while, we use grace. And we'll talk about grace a lot and a lot and a lot. We'll say the word. We'll talk about what it is. But I think if you're anything like me, you can hear something so much, it becomes so indoctrinated in you that you think you've got it down pat. You're like, I know grace. I get grace. I'm good. Don't need to hear much more about it. I, I know everything there is to know. And I would say, ah, 
not so fast. I think grace is something that we can easily misunderstand and misapply every day in our life. I think we're struggling to really grasp and understand grace, especially as it relates to salvation and how that works itself out in our life and how we really live according to grace. And so for this morning, we are going to jump into Jonah chapter 2 and we're going to see that much like Jonah, God still has work to do in our hearts. So Jonah chapter 2, if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. It's going to be up on the screen as well. And there's a red Bible in front of you if you want to follow along. In the original, chapter 2 probably started with verse 17 in chapter 1. And so that's where we're going to pick up. Because otherwise, the first verse in chapter 2 really doesn't make that much sense. So we're going to start in verse 17 of chapter 1, but then we'll follow right into chapter 2. So Jonah's been tossed in the water. The storm has ceased. And here's where we pick up. It says in verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So this great fish, some believe it's a whale. Some believe maybe it's this really, really unique fish that God only made just to swallow up Jonah. We don't know for sure. We just know it's a big enough fish to swallow up a man, which is pretty big. But here's what I would caution us in. Don't make the fish the main point of this story. The fish is simply like an Uber to get Jonah to where God wants him to go. He's a transport. But the fish is not the main point. So don't be like, oh man, Jonah, that's amazing. And it leads me to worship this great fish or this whale. Not the point of Jonah. So we're going to look past the fish that's holding Jonah in its belly. And we're going to see what God does. It says in verse 1, as Jonah's in the belly of this fish, so for three days and three nights. Gross. Disgusting. I don't like the smell of fish after three days and three nights, let alone would I wrap myself in a fish and hang out for three days and three nights. This isn't a great hotel experience. So then in verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now before we get further into this prayer, it's really important to point out something here. It's easy to look at this prayer on the surface and say, What a beautiful, amazing prayer Jonah finally gets it. He understands grace. He totally turns around. His heart's completely changed. This is phenomenal. If you look at it just on the surface, you might get to that conclusion. But if you go deeper, which is really important, and you look at this in the context of not only chapter 2, but the rest of Jonah, which we'll get to in the next few weeks, you see that Jonah is really still pretty messed up at a heart level. He's still really, really struggling to understand grace. And so many have and will preach this text from the perspective of Jonah getting it. Here's how we understand grace. Jonah understands grace. And that's simply not the case. Not if you really look deeper into this. I think the reason, though, that we sometimes do that is because we want it to fit into this nice, clean box. But here's what I love about Jonah. It doesn't fit into a nice, clean box. And here's what I know about our lives and our relationship with God is it doesn't fit into a nice, clean box. We struggle, we wrestle, we have doubts, we're reaffirmed in our faith, but it never fits into this nice, clean box. And so this is much of what we see in Jonah when we look at this prayer, that we're all in process, if you will, and so is Jonah, which the word then, so when it says then Jonah prayed, really starts to show us. First house we owned, we wanted to do some things to the house and and change a few things up. And one of the projects that I took on was retiling our kitchen floor. 
And what I realized really quickly is that there's a reason why I should have asked for help because I've never tiled a floor before. And so all of a sudden, nothing's even and everything's messed up and it doesn't look great. But here's the deal. I didn't immediately ask for help. I waited because I was so frustrated and I believed that I could make it better on my own and somehow fix this, but that just didn't happen. In fact, I got up in a church service and I was joking and I said, if anybody wants to come over and help me try to fix my tiles, I could use the help. And somebody did and it was awesome. But here's the deal. I was stubborn. Jonah doesn't start praying until after three days and three nights in the whale. It doesn't say he was swallowed up by a whale and immediately he reached out to God. It's like, no, Jonah hung out for three days and three nights in this gross fish before he said anything to God. Jonah's stubborn. He's stubborn in the same way that he turned and he rebelled and he ran to Tarshish or wanted to go to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. The men on the boat, what's, what's interesting is the men on the boat who are praying to other gods start to worship God before Jonah ever even reaches out and prays. They give sacrifices. Jonah's stubborn, but God remains. Can we relate to this? Of course not, because we're never stubborn. So in verse 2, as he calls out from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. So there are really two prayers that we see here in this passage. The first is a prayer for petition for God's help. Jonah realized that he wasn't going to be able to fix this on his own. He realized that he really needed God's help. That's why he cries out. And to show how bad the situation was, Jonah repeats the summary. That's why he says, I was in distress, that essentially from death's belly I screamed out. And this prayer is strikingly similar to two other prayers in the Psalms. Just, I'll just reference them really quick. In Psalm 18 and 120, it says this in 18. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And then in Psalm 120, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. In fact, many of the lines that Jonah uses in this prayer are from Scripture. Jonah was a prophet. He knew Scripture pretty well. But here's the deal. Jonah still doesn't get it. Us simply knowing the Bible, knowing the Scripture, knowing truth is not enough. You can know truth, and it can be locked in your mind, but it can still not get down into saturating your heart. You could memorize books of the Bible. You could have a dozen commentaries. You could have read from all the best-selling Christian authors, but there's a work that God wants to do that goes far beyond knowledge and far beyond reciting Scripture, and it's the work of the heart. And So Jonah goes on, and he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart, of the seas. Jonah realized that although the crew of the ship, they were used as agents, that they weren't the ones who really tossed Jonah into the sea. It was God because of his rebellion. And it's important to stop here and really ask this question, which I think is important for us because it's really applicable. Why would a gracious God, because we talk about a gracious God, why would a gracious God throw someone into the ocean? Seemingly, it looks like he's going to die here. And I just want to ask this honest question. Has anyone, have you ever faced a storm in your life or you're facing one now and it's led you to question God and his goodness? I have, and I do. I think if we're honest, we're constantly wrestling, especially as things come up in our lives, things we don't understand, things we don't want to be a part of our lives, situations that arise, things that we desire that don't actually play out. Maybe it's the consequences a rebellion like here in Jonah, or maybe it's just something God's allowed into your life, and you find yourself asking things like this, God, why would you give me this illness? 
God, why would you take this job from me? Why, God, why haven't you given me a spouse? God, why? What we see here, though, is that God's purpose in throwing Jonah into the heart of the sea is not to take Jonah's life, but to remind him that following God is far preferable to forsaking him. He's teaching Jonah here. Now, the language Jonah uses here throughout this prayer, and especially at the beginning, is language of judgment. And I know that judgment is not something popular to talk about. But the reality is that if you don't have a relationship with God, with the true God, which Jonah did, then it means you're still under your sin, which you are ultimately responsible for. And there's nothing that you can do on your own or fix this issue that you have. The only way is to turn to God, to realize your need for Him, to realize that He's done everything so that you can have a relationship with Him and so that you don't have to face judgment, as we'll see as we walk through this. But this is a reality. Judgment is a reality here on our earth, here in our world, and it's not loving to act like it's not. In fact, that's one of the most unloving things to do is to Assume that, oh, there is no judgment, everybody's good. Well, apart from God, there is eternal separation. So God's reminding Jonah here, but here's a truth that we need to hold on to. Church, if you have a relationship with Jesus, here's a great truth. Is that God never punishes his children. He never punishes his children, but he does discipline us. And it can come into our life in several different ways. Some of you, and, and myself included, we've experienced discipline from God because we have rebelled from him, we've turned away, and because he loves us so much... He disciplines us so that we'll turn back. And in other ways, God wants to refine us and make us more like him. And so he'll allow things into our life that we don't understand, that we don't like, that we wish we're not a part, but he's not doing that because he's punishing. He's doing that actually out of his love for us because the most important thing to God is that his children would turn to him and become more like his son. God loved Jonah, and he went to extreme measures to get his attention. Just like a parent who sees their children about to do something dangerous and will go to extreme measures to stop them out of love, so too it is with God. But Jonah, as he's cast into the heart of the sea, it says, And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And you get this picture of just waves crashing over Jonah. He can't get a breath. He's sinking down. You get this dark, dark picture that death is is imminent, that there's no way out of this. As his billows passed over me, he says in verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah's in a desperate situation here. That's really clear. The language that he's using, the Hebrews would have understood this separation between the earth and the netherworld was seen as water. And so Jonah uses this language of water that's crashing over him, that's taking him down into the deep. He's making a point that he was on death's doorstep. He believed he was. But it says, yet I shall look again to your holy temple. He keeps pleading again and again with God. In verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. There's some interesting language here. Check this out. So these, these words, closed in, that weeds wrapped around him. The land whose bars would close in forever. Here's what Jonah's describing here. Jonah's absolutely describing a burial scene here. 
This is Jonah's lowest point. That's why he says, to the roots of the mountains. And he questions, really, whether he's too far from God's grasp. This is why he uses imagery to show us how deep he sank and how scared he was. He questions whether he's too far from God's grasp. And here's, here's a fact for us, that we've all rebelled like Jonah, and at times this thought will pop into our heads, have I gone too far? Am I too far? Have I rebelled too much? Am I too messed up? Am I too dirty? Am I too broken? There's no way that God could still want anything to do with me because of what I've done. If you only knew, God, if you only knew how far my heart has gone from you, if you only knew that for X amount of years, my entire life, I've pushed away from you and I haven't wanted anything to do with you. God, if you only knew the sins in my life that nobody else knows about, that I try to stay hidden, there's no way that you would want anything to do with a sinner like me. I've gone too far. I don't know that you can save me from this. And here's the deal. This is a bold-faced lie. Because here's what it says, and it's beautiful and it's amazing, that in the midst of this burial that Jonah believed he was being prepared for, in the midst of the weeds wrapping around his head, in the midst of being at the bottom of this ocean, something amazing happens. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O my Lord. And this matter-of-fact language that Jonah uses here is incredibly intentional because it shows the ease in which God was able to reach down and save Jonah. This wasn't something that was difficult for God. It was difficult for Jonah And there's no way that Jonah could do enough to save himself as he shows throughout the first part of this chapter. But with God, there was great ease in being able to reach down and save Jonah. He wasn't too far from grace, and the truth is this morning, neither are you. Jonah says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. There's a question, should we call out to God? Absolutely. Does God want to hear from us? Absolutely. He loves hearing from his children. He loves communing with his children. He loves having conversations with us when we're hurting, when we don't understand, when we doubt. We should absolutely go to God. But, but, Jonah gets it right and he gets it wrong here. Here's what I mean. Yes, he gets it right that God brought his life up from the pit. But the way that Jonah phrases this is really interesting. Look at it again. There's a lot of I language. He says, I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Essentially, Jonah is saying, God, I remembered you, and I wouldn't stop praying, and finally, my prayer got to you, so you came and you rescued your servant. Absolutely not. It's great that you prayed to me, Jonah. It's great that you called out, but you got this thing a little bit turned around. Your prayers didn't warrant your salvation. Your prayers are not what saved you. They weren't eloquent enough. They weren't fancy enough. None of that saved you. So yes, he brought him out of the pit, but it wasn't because Jonah remembered God or his prayers that they reached Jonah. Jonah's prayers weren't deserving of salvation, and Jonah's prayers couldn't cause God to act. It's because God came down to Jonah in the deep, and spared him by his grace, which is incredibly important to understand. Salvation, as we'll see here in a few verses, is from God alone. It's not from man, and it's not this dance between God and men where we both meet in the middle. 
Jonah's having a hard time understanding that. And so I would say, don't for a second believe that anything that you do can warrant God's grace or can earn it back. If you've turned from God, if you've rebelled, if you've been turned for a long time, if if you just had doubts for a long time, there's nothing that you can do, no action, no good works, none of that that's going to get God's grace or that's going to keep God's grace. Here's the deal. This is a great thing because if we could earn it to keep it, we'd quickly lose it again when we rebelled the next time. This is in and of itself self-righteousness and what got Jonah into this situation in the first place. It's important for us to know that we are no more deserving of grace in this room than someone who is serving a life sentence for murder right now in a prison. We are no more deserving. It's not our goodness that has brought grace to us, but it's God's love for us. And when we start to grasp that, and when we start to hold on to that, it really does start to change our heart, not only toward God, but also toward others. And it changes our understanding of what God's doing and of what he's done. And so no, just like Jonah, we wanted death instead of life, and we rebelled against God. But in his kindness and mercy, while we were hopelessly sinking down in the deep, engulfed by our sin, God reached down. And instead of judgment, he offers grace. And instead of hate, He offers love. Instead of death, he offers life. And you and I did absolutely nothing to earn it. It doesn't make any sense that God would save Jonah. In fact, it would make much more sense that God would have never sent the fish to swallow up Jonah or that God would allow the fish to simply spit him back out into the water so that he would drown. Yet God pursues this rebellious prophet time and time again. He pursues him and he shows him mercy, even though that's absolutely not what he deserved. He pursues him and he shows him mercy, even though Jonah's heart is not completely right. He pursues him and shows him mercy, even though Jonah still has a hard time fully understanding and grasping what grace really is. And I don't know about you, but that's really encouraging to me because I don't think we're actually that much different than Jonah at times. I think we still struggle with really understanding the salvation that God has offered us, how he's offered it to us, how it's kept. And sometimes we try to insert ourselves because we think we can keep it or earn more of God's love, or we run when we think we've done too much, when we think we've sinned and gone too far because we don't believe that God would still love us. And so God shows Jonah this thing called grace. He gives him a new lease on life. In verse 8, those who, Jonah says this, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This is a very true statement. Here's the only problem with it here is that Jonah says those instead of I. Jonah, it's pretty clear here, he's, he's most likely referring still to the Ninevites who have forsaken God, who have turned to their own idols. But Jonah's still blind to see that self-righteousness is still his idol. Have we ever struggled, have you ever struggled to believe that others deserve grace? Have you ever struggled to believe that God could really reach him or her or would even want to? Have you ever held someone to a higher standard than yourself? That's why I say I don't think we're that much different than Jonah because I think if we're honest, we go through sometimes our day-to-day and we look at others struggling and 
And in our hearts and maybe in our minds, we would say, yeah, it makes sense. God doesn't show them grace or I don't think God would really reach them or could reach them. And that's not the heart of God. Jonah's still struggling with this. And so Jonah, as God brings him into the belly of the fish, here's what Jonah says. He says in verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay Here's what's crazy is there's no doubt that Jonah has faith. In fact, Jonah has, it seems like, a lot of faith. Shoot, it's, it's faith that actually kept Jonah from wanting to go to Nineveh because he knew that if he went to Nineveh and he opened up his mouth and he told them about God, that they would actually repent and that God would save them, and that bothered him. It's possible, very possible, to have faith, to trust in God, but to still miss grace and what grace is really meant to do in our lives. To have great faith like Jonah, but still struggle to understand that it's not because anything we've done that God has saved us. To have, gr- to have faith, but still lack a heart of compassion toward others who haven't experienced that grace. To have faith, but have a really hard time showing love to others or sacrificing to others. It's absolutely possible, and that's what we see here in Jonah. With a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have owed, I will pay. You'll notice something that's missing from this whole prayer. It's great that Jonah had thanksgiving for God for saving him. But there's something pretty big that's missing. Jonah never confesses his sin. Jonah never says, God, I'm so sorry for thinking that I deserved your love and grace and salvation more than these people. Never. You don't see that in this prayer. Jonah never says, God, I am so completely sorry at what I've done that I ran from you and God, thank you for saving me and I don't deserve it. Instead, Jonah skips right over to Thanksgiving. God, thank you for saving me. And man, what about those people who sacrifice your love for vain idols? What's missing here is a real heart of repentance and confession. Jonah thanks God. He says, I'll sacrifice to him. He says, God, I'll go and I'll do what you've asked me to do. But Jonah never admits his wrongdoing in the first place. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. And so Jonah's right again at the end of this when he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Not to men, not to the Lord and men. Salvation is completely up to God and it's completely an act of God. And this salvation has been made possible through Jesus and Jesus alone. This book of Jonah, it's a foreshadowing of what's to come. It's an imperfect picture of Christ to come. It was because of Jonah's rebellion that he would end up in the sea. But it was because of our rebellion that Jesus would end up on the cross. But unlike Jonah, who God spared, God did not spare his own son. And Jesus would sink to the very bottom, into the depths of death. And as Jonah spends three nights and three days in this whale. After three days and three nights, God delivers Jonah, but not because of his righteousness and in spite of his continued lack of grace. But after three days in the grave, Christ would come back to life victorious over sin and death and completely righteous. And unlike Jonah, who didn't believe that everyone should get the opportunity to experience grace, Jesus offers constant, lasting, saving grace to all people without bias a reservation. So the point of this message and the point of this chapter and the point of this book is not Jonah does the right thing and makes it out of the fish. Jonah does the right thing and he finally goes to Nineveh. There's nothing that Jonah did to get out of the fish or to save his life. 
fact, there was a lot he didn't get. And his rebellious spirit was still very much alive within him. And we'll see that in weeks to come. But here's what's amazing is that God still pursues Jonah. He still shows him mercy. He saves Jonah in spite of himself. And I'm so glad that God is willing to save, show grace, and not abandon this racist, self-righteous bigot named Jonah who's still in process and who's still struggling because it means there's hope for me and you. And so take this with you that God's grace, it's better than your best and it's wider than your worst. You can't earn it or outdo it and as children of God, you can't outrun it. And when this truth sinks down into our hearts, deep into our hearts inwardly, it starts to work outwardly in how we see others, how we think of others, how we love others who are still in need of it. How we understand and how we relate with God. That he's given us absolutely everything we need, even if he doesn't give us everything we want or desire. That God's goodness and his kindness is not measured by the things that we have in our life, his goodness and kindness is measured by the fact that he's given us and offered us new life. And if you don't have a relationship with him this morning, the beauty of this passage is that it's, it so highlights God's love even for rebellious sinners. And so if you don't have a relationship with him, you can have a relationship with him. You're not too far gone. And if you've been trying to clean yourself up or you've been trying to earn his love for some time or you've thought that there's no way that God would want to know me, this passage tells us quite the opposite. God wants to know you and he's done everything. He's literally reached down into humanity so that you can know him. And so today is a great opportunity to start a relationship with this incredibly gracious God who's incredibly patient. Hear these words from Amazing Grace. Though many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come, tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Not our goodness, not overcoming doubts, not our merits, grace and grace alone, because salvation belongs to the Lord.